0: Greetings, friends in Christ. I chose a text for today that I think will certainly encourage all of us in ministry, but specifically um, give some encouragement and direction uh, to Craig as he begins his intern year among us. So our text that we're going to be looking at is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 to 18. And this just follows right after our Old Testament lesson that we began with. So Elijah has, you know, there's a big showdown on Mount Carmel we'll talk about in a second. Um, He killed the prophets of Baal. Now Jezebel wants to um, take his life, um, and Elijah's very down because he's running for his life, even though he's doing what God has been asking him to do, and we pick it up there. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me, too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Anoint Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. What are you doing here, Craig? Why did you just leave your family and travel all the way across the continent to spend a year here with us? The easy answer is that you were assigned to um, come here and spend the year here with us for a year, um, learning under my supervision the ins and outs of how to be a pastor. But half a world away, no doubt, there will be moments where you are sitting there thinking what am I doing here? I imagine that your call day was, was a jaw dropper that you probably never forget. I've never forgotten mine. Um, on my call day and, and, it was, this was, and I'm talking about the call that the full-time call, not my vicar your call, but on my call day, I had some other brothers and a couple cousins who were also getting calls to various um, situations that same day. And so, um, so we, we arranged a gathering afterwards where we had lunch together, kind of a celebration of who, where everyone's going to go. We didn't know where everyone was going. So um, to that call day, uh, Dawn made a jello mold and brought it. That was what we brought to be the centerpiece of the, the lunch table. And she made the jello mold in the shape of the the USA. And then each of us got a little toothpick flag with our name on it um, that was getting a call. And then so after the call service, when we found out where all of us would be going, we were going to put those little toothpick flags in the various places around the jello mold. And then that was going to be the centerpiece of the launch. Well, then obviously I'm in the call day service and I hear Joel Schultz, Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. So, it was a jello mold of the United States. So anyway, our little toothpick flag was laying. It was it was pathetic. It was laying on the side of the jello mold in a, on a little kind of serving dish with little chunks of jello around it, melting. So a couple months later, Don and I packed up and we moved to Canada. And right after we found out that our car was going to be deported. We got to the house, and there we were. And there were more than a few moments, especially in those early days, where I was thinking, "What am I doing here?" First of all, we were all alone. There was no there was no there was just there was a few stragglers, you know, from the last mission effort. But there wasn't this congregation to to welcome us. We we were all alone. I think a day later, we finally just made our own welcome to Canada sign and put it on our refrigerator. Um, So we got about the work. We went out and began knocking on doors and. Uh, Dawn would go on one side of the street and I would take the other side we'd knock on doors and and around here You'd get like one in a hundred people who were actually interested in talking to you Um, You know if they didn't shut their door slam their door in your face and then out of those people you'd get one out of a hundred Of them would maybe even be willing to talk to you about church or maybe you know receive any information at all so the, the going wasn't that good it wasn't um that great and uh, a lot of doors slammed lot, sometimes some depressing or frustrating days and i remember one time where we're walking along and i look over and dawn's walking right in the middle of the street and i got a little bit scared because i thought she's gonna get hit by a car because i could see she's bawling there's just tears just streaming down her face and she's saying something to me and i couldn't hear it at first but when i finally heard it what i heard her saying was they're all going to hell I think she just had like the third door slammed in her face in a row or something like that. I met with a local pastor, and we had coffee together, and he said, Joel, don't you know this has been called the church planter's graveyard, this neighborhood. We began planning for our very first Christmas Eve service. I think the only people here at that point would be the Tempestas. Marguerite, who has a flat tire and is not here today, um, but we, this was our big outreach thing, and we, did, we, we delivered 10,000 flyers that we made up on our photocopier, 10,000 flyers, and delivered them, like all, and all throughout the month of December, and we're hoping for this big turnout Christmas Eve, so I didn't know any better. 10,000 flyers, 10% of that, we could have 1,000 people. Like, that's probably a little bit, you know, over, you know, positive. Um, um, maybe, how would if 1% came. Only 1%? That'd be 100 people. Well, oh, that's too low. At 2 or 3%, 200, 300 people? I didn't know. I put 250 chairs out, and I had 100 in reserve at the Living Arts Center. We got 40. And most of those were relatives of the people that were in our, uh, coming to our church. And one family of four who got lost. They were coming to something else. We talked them into at least staying for the service. So what am I doing here? That would be a question I would ask. What am I doing here? Um, These people are rejecting the word of God. They're making it impossible for me to plant a church. They don't want me knocking on their door. They don't want to hear me talking about Jesus. And I'm the only one left. I'm all alone here. Craig you might have some of those feelings too as you spend your year here as you are you're coming out of the seminary you're you're zealous uh, for the lord for 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 sharing his word with people and you're going to you're going to go out you know knocking on doors trying to share the word with people you may get some doors slammed in your face you may um you, you may be having just some tough intern year moments where you're working on preaching a sermon Teaching a Bible study and maybe it doesn't go so well for you or maybe maybe you think it went well But people don't really want to listen to what it is that you have to say Um, And so you have some of these tough moments you're wondering what am I doing here? Because god is you know anyone I think coming out of the training that we've got from little on learning about jesus going to school to become a pastor and you're getting filled with zeal god is filling with zeal and he's which is he's kind of giving you this this passion that that focuses you intensely on on doing his will and maintaining his honor even in the face of ungodly people that's what zeal is that's what elijah had that's what anyone god is training up for ministry has and so there's there's times when you're on fire you're, you're filled with this zeal for the lord but sometimes it seems like maybe you're the only one Let's fast forward my story a little bit, our story a little bit. Um, this last Easter, we had the massive record crowd on Easter Sunday, 241 people. Um, amazing, there are 120 guests in this, in this room. And um, it, it, was, it was wonderful. And our, our people hosted them wonderfully. Everyone was on task, hosting them, helping them, making them feel welcome. The service went wonderfully, music was beautiful. Everything went without a hitch. I got to preach the gospel to 241 people. The message of the resurrection of Jesus, nonetheless. You start thinking, "Ah, our church is going to double in size. Um, How are we going to fit all the people in here? How am I going to teach all the Bible instruction classes that are going to be part of this? Then the next Sunday, like 70 people. The majority of them simply went back to their old lives. And they had heard. The gospel message of Jesus' resurrection. So, so Craig. You're going to find that what's even, uh, even harder to deal with. Than having doors slammed in your face. Are, are, are these kind of moments. Um, when, when you see these awesome displays of God's power. When. When there are these times where we where we know that people have heard the powerful word of god but then we don't see changes happening in those people's lives like god promises they will you know we we know that god's word changes hearts and lives um we know it's supposed to but that sometimes it seems like nothing happens god's word is supposed to change hearts and lives so why isn't it why isn't it now i'm doing what they taught me at sam I'm doing what Pastor Schultz is telling me to do. I'm doing what God is telling me to do in His Word. Why aren't I seeing changes in people's lives? After one of the most powerful ever displays of God's power on Mount Carmel, Elijah, the prophet Elijah, wanted to see changes in people's lives. A little bit of the backstory here. I think you guys know the story Mount Carmel. The people of Israel had begun following the God, the false God Baal. And so it, God had had enough of that, so it's time for a showdown, and Elijah um, offered a, proposed a challenge to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You build your altar, put your sacrifice on it. Um, I'm going to build an altar to the Lord, put a sacrifice on it, and then we'll pray, and then whoever God sends fire to burn up that sacrifice, that is the true God. So they set up their altar, prophets of Baal, 450 of them, prayed all day long, nothing happens. So... Elijah steps up, has them drench his altar with water till it's soaking. And then he doesn't even ask God for fire. He just steps up and says, Lord, show them who's God. And God sent fire from heaven, burned up the the sacrifice, the stones, the water that it had been drenched with. Boom. Prophets of Baal looked like fools. No one could deny who the true God was. And so everyone began following God and Elijah enjoyed a peaceful pastoral ministry. Ah, you guys know the Bible. Good. You know that's not that's not what happened at all. What happened was hardly anyone began following God and Queen Jezebel put a price on his head, wanted to kill him. So Elijah fled. He flees all in all about a 300-mile journey to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, where God gave the law, with God strengthening along the way. We heard a little bit of that in the first text. And Elijah, he was scared for his life. It says he was scared for his life. Sure, he doesn't want to fall into Jezebel's hands. Who would? But it wasn't just about a fear for his life. Because he actually, we, we hear him praying to God to end his life. So what has Elijah depressed here is not just a fear for his earthly life. What has Elijah down here is that he just could not understand why he wasn't seeing bigger changes happening in the lives of God's people. Why in the world weren't people following God after such a display? of his power after seeing how powerful he is i mean on mount carmel elijah was elijah was part of the 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 most powerful display of god's superiority that 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 there has ever been but even after all that there were no apparent positive results after such a display as what happened on mount carmel you think that everyone everyone would be following and worshiping the true god but they weren't they were still worshiping A false God. They were living sinfully, selfishly. And they were killing the prophets. And they were coming after even the very prophet who showed them the power of the true God. So, Craig, the the hardest thing for Dawn and I in ministry has not been getting doors slammed in our faces. The hardest thing has been Really, the moments of greatest visible success. Those moments where we know people have heard the powerful word of God, but then in a a disappointing fashion, not seeing, not seeing change in their lives. I mean, how couldn't that beautiful Advent by candlelight? where where the gospel was shared so poignantly so powerfully so clearly about who jesus is why he came into this world and and why we celebrate christmas how couldn't that then change the lives of more of those 100 to 120 women who, who come that it would then really show the next day or the next week how couldn't that massive easter service have brought more people to faith how couldn't that massive soccer camp have brought more people to church how couldn't God sending fire from heaven to burn up water and stone and sacrifice have brought more people to his side? So Elijah came to the very same mountain where God once did make his presence known in fire, smoke, and an earthquake. And, you know, it's Mount Sinai where God gave the law. You wonder if Elijah wanted, was looking for that same Powerful God to visit disobedient Israel with his fire, smoke, and earthquake. God has, at, on occasion, revealed himself to us in those powerful kind of ways. But most often, God comes to you and me in a gentle whisper. And so, the Lord teaches Elijah a lesson on the mountain. The Lord was not present in the earthquake, or the big windstorm, or the fire. The Lord was present in a still, small voice. And that's still how he speaks with us today. Well, he uses fire and brimstone too. Right? God is serious about sin. God hates your sin and my sin that we commit daily. God hates sin. And God promises justice and punishment because of our sin. Because he is a just God. But God loves you. God loves you and so he loves you so much that he came up with a way... To get you out of the predicament that your sin had put you in and that was instead of taking that justice and that punishment out on you because of your sin he took it out on his own son so that you could be forgiven so that you could have eternal life now how does god share that wonderful news with us with a gentle whisper with a still small voice with the Holy Spirit speaking quietly through the Word, quietly assuring us, wherever you have been, you're mine. No no matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you are mine. I've forgiven you. I love you no matter what. That is the message you're going to hear When you listen to God's word, to his voice in his word. So the first thing that I'm going to be telling you as we begin our orientation together is there is nothing, nothing more important than that first hour of your day. Nothing. You, your Bible, and a cup of coffee. That's right, you don't drink coffee. All right. You and your Bible, that's the important thing. And whatever you drink in the morning, if you don't drink coffee. (laughs) Cup of water, whatever. Nothing replaces that. Nothing repli- God says, God tells us, be still and know that I am God. And, and we're going to be preaching and teaching and telling our people the importance of being in the word. We cannot be doing that if we are not in the word first ourselves. We need that even more. You need that daily in your ministry. I need that. If I'm not in the word, I have nothing to offer you. I need to be, I need to be still and listen to God's voice and grow in his word. Otherwise, I have nothing for you. Uh, Years ago, before refrigeration, people would preserve their food in ice houses. Now, ice houses had very thick walls and no windows and very tightly fitting doors. And ice placed there in the winter would last all the way into the summer. And and one time, a a man lost a very valuable watch working in an ice house. And he and his fellow workers, they diligently searched all over, but they could not find the watch. But a little boy, hearing about the missing watch, snuck into the ice house during the, the noon hour. And he soon emerged with the missing watch. And all the the workers were amazed, wondering how he had found the watch. And he said, I closed the door, I lay down in the sawdust, and and became very still and quiet. And, And soon I heard the watch ticking. So Craig, as you spend, and all of you, as you spend quiet time with God in his word, you will hear his still, small voice. And that is the voice that will drive out fear. That is the voice that will drive out self-doubt. That is the voice that will drive out self-pity. That is the voice that will comfort you by letting you know that God is with you, that, that God has forgiven you, that he loves you, that you are not alone. That's the voice that's going to encourage you to, to, to keep at it. Elijah learned a lesson here. He learned that he had to patiently wait for the loving, gentle whisper of the gospel to enter the hearts of men and do its powerful work. And and that is a a truth that that anyone in ministry who might be impatient with the the spiritual lives of their people or impatient with the, the slow growth of the church needs to learn again and again. Ministers can get tempted to to give up on the gospel of peace and patience when divine retribution seems so much more appropriate but God doesn't force people to believe in him with earthquake windstorms and fires he slowly changes hearts with the gentle whisper of his gospel with his word so what are you doing here Elijah was God implying that Elijah shouldn't have been running away was God asking, what are you doing here? Why aren't you in the palace confronting Jezebel? Why aren't you in the marketplace telling everybody about the great victory that I just won for you? What are you doing here? Twice, Elijah says, I have been extremely faithful. I've been working hard. I have been sharing your word. But no one wants to hear it, Lord. No one wants to listen to your word. They're destroying, they're tearing your church apart. They're persecuting your followers, me included. They're coming after me now, and I'm the only one left. God basically tells Elijah two things. Get in the word. Be strengthened by my still small voice. And get busy. (laughs) Go anoint these guys. And then be faithful in doing what I've called you to do. And by the way, you're not alone. There are 7,000 people whose knees have not bowed down to Baal yet. There are 7,000 people who, whose hearts have been changed by my word, who do believe in me as Lord. So, I can relate. I can relate on a, on a smaller level to Elijah. I have come down the mountain this summer. Soccer camp brought 292 children to hear the gospel. So fun. On our, on our closing, closing day, I got to preach the gospel to 600 plus people with all the families. On a beautiful day, you could hear a pin drop out there. There was uh, much rejoicing, much excitement. Five families came to church Sunday following. It was a lot of fun. But I see a lot of things in August that that can leave me depressed. Where are the rest of those 292? Where are those five families who came to church? Where's the rest of our members? Where are all the people should be sitting in some of these chairs today? Where'd they all go? Am I the only one left? Are we the only ones left? So what do we do? Do we go, do we hide, pout? No. We need to get in his word we need to be strengthened by his still small voice that's what i need to do i think that's what you need to do we need to be strengthened by his still small voice and then we need to get to be faithful doing what he's called us to do we need to get busy doing what the lord has called us to do so craig this is god's encouragement for you as well your year is beginning now you're going to be going out And uh, knocking on some doors. And you're going to be sharing messages with youth. You're going to be learning how to preach a sermon. You're going to be learning how to teach a Bible study. You're going to be learning how to invite people to church and share Jesus with them. And sometimes you're going to see slammed doors and empty chairs. And other times you're going to see huge crowds and and great success. But when you don't visibly see God's word changing hearts and lives like you know it can and like you want it to, you're going to be tempted to get down on yourself and wonder, what am i doing here and when when that kind of ang- when you do get bogged down with that anxiety remember what the lord taught elijah here get in his word be strengthened daily with his still small voice let that voice comfort you with the fact that that God is with you, that he does love you, that he has forgiven you, that you are not alone. And then let it encourage you to get out there and keep going and be faithful. So then get busy. Second thing, get busy doing what God has called you to do. Get busy doing some work for God and for other people. Get busy learning how to be a pastor, learning how to equip a group of people and, and train up a group of people and inspire a group of people to reach out To the lost around them get busy what god has called you to do here learning what god has called you to learn here and when you are busy working for him you'll find that those problems will soon disappear and finally remember you're not alone you're not alone you might be thousands of miles away from your family but not only is god with you he has also surrounded you by a beautiful group of people So, what are you doing here in Mississauga, Canada? You are embarking on a journey of preparation. You are, God is preparing you to serve Him in ministry. And as you embark on that journey, you are coming alongside a very beautiful group of people whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, people whose lives have been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ, people who have been led to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you are going to learn a lot from them. You're going to learn from me, but most importantly, you're going to learn from God. See, he will be growing you as you are in his word and as you are busy doing his work. So that is what you're doing here. That is what God is doing here. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.